in Luke chapter 24. Uh, this month we've been looking at the individual encounters that people had with the risen Lord. And this Sunday we come to the two on the road to Emmaus. Their story is told in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. And so I, d I don't want you to take what was presented on the screen as the gospel truth. And so I don't want you to tell your friends this story. And yeah, I want you to have it right from the Bible. Luke 24, verse 13. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. <clears throat> and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of them, I'm sorry, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all of this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they arose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Of all of the resurrection appearances 
to me, this is the most unique. It is the one that doesn't fit. You kind of understand Peter and John and Mary Magdalene and some others, the other ladies that were a part of that group that went to the tomb early. Uh, you understand when Jesus met with the ten in the upper room on that first Sunday and then the eleven, the ten plus Thomas on the second Sunday. Uh, there are some other appearances that are alluded to in the scriptures. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul says that he appeared uh, to 500 brethren in Galilee at one time, and he also appeared to James, who would have been the James who would have been Jesus' brother. So I don't know, there's about six or seven stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then allusions in 1 Corinthians 15 of these appearances of Jesus. But for me, this is the one that just doesn't quite fit. There's a couple things I want us to notice in the story. Uh, my major point's going to be number three, but let me allude to first, the first two at least. Uh, the story continues to teach us what we have seen the last two Sundays, that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he had a transformed body. It wasn't just that Jesus came back to life but it was that Jesus' body was transformed into his resurrected body. And that's why they found the grave clothes laying on the ledge where his body was, okay? Uh, this story verifies that. Um, uh, Jesus has a body that is transformed. It's what I would consider was fit for heaven. It was his heavenly body. Uh, he's able to uh, go certain places. He's able to eat. It's a real body. He's not just a spirit. Uh, but he's also able to vanish. Okay, so there's indications, and I think this is something that's very significant in uh, the teaching of the Bible of the resurrection, that Jesus didn't just come back to life, but his body was transformed. And I think when you read this story, you see that in this. Um, one other thing to note uh, in the Scriptures, I think that is significant, that we see in this story and the other stories, is that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, are slow to believe. One of the explanations of the resurrection of Jesus would be that the disciples got so worked up and anticipated that Jesus was going to come back from the dead, that they had these out-of-body experiences and these visions, and they visualized out of that, that sense of expectation that Jesus had come back from life. But actually what you read in the story is that when Jesus died, it was like they gave up hope. Even though, as we will see next Sunday, uh, I count six or seven times that Jesus, before he died, took the disciples and said, I want you to know, we're going to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me, but on the third day, I will rise from the dead. That even though Jesus had said this, and they remembered it later, at that point, they did not. The disciples were slow to believe. They were not anticipating Jesus to come back. And so we see on the two on the road to Emmaus that they said this was the one we were hoping was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But indeed, he has died, and this is now the third day. Uh, even when the women who went to the empty tomb saw the empty tomb and came back and reported, they didn't believe. Even when Peter and John went and saw the empty tomb and came back, they didn't believe. Do you know what they needed? Do you know what these two needed? They needed a personal encounter with the risen Lord. 
And in the story, that's exactly what they got. You see, to me, the third and the major point of why this story is in the Scripture and why Jesus appears to them is these two needed to know that Jesus was not only alive, but he was the reigning Lord. He was actively engaged and involved in the world and in their lives. I think that's why the story is included. I think that's why Jesus appears to them. I, I don't know. Jesus obviously doesn't think like I think, but it's almost as if these men had been in the upper room. The women came and said, The tomb is empty. Peter and John ran and saw it and came back and said, The tomb is empty. And they were like, eh, I don't know about that. I don't know. And they are like walking home. Emmaus, about seven miles. And... Um, you get this sense of Jesus being the sovereign Lord who reigns and sees all because almost as if, obviously, Jesus, as the reigning Lord, knows these two men have left the upper room and they are going home. And it's almost as like Jesus said, oh, we'll see about that. Yeah. Oh, let me just, let me just go and I'm going to walk with them. To me, the story is teaching us that Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, and we've got to get this. And I've probably said this in other ways in the previous Sundays, and I'll say it again next Sunday. We've got to get this, that Jesus, the, the teaching of the resurrection by the early church was not just that Jesus was alive. And yes, he was. But he was the reigning Lord. There's a difference in Jesus being alive and going, okay, Jesus is now alive, and we're going to put him up in heaven, and he's up there in heaven. No! The Scripture says the early apostles taught not only is He risen from the dead, but He has ascended to the Father and He sits at the right hand of God, God's right-hand man, and He is the reigning Lord over everyone, the world and everyone's life that is sitting in this room for the last 2,000 years. He is not simply just alive. He is reigning. He is Lord. The Lord is risen. We put so much emphasis upon the cross and rightfully so. But the disciples, the two on the road to Emmaus, the others, were not transformed when Jesus died. They didn't stand at the cross, hear the reports of the cross, and go, oh, wow, I just have this warm feeling that I believe Jesus has died for my sins. No. Actually, they were about to scatter. This, this whole thing was about to fall apart. Until... They discovered that the tomb was empty. And then they discovered by their, the personal encounters they had with the risen Lord that Jesus is alive, and the church took that to mean that he reigns. Only the reigning Lord would know that these two men not only were walking from the upper room to Emmaus seven miles, but you know what else the reigning Lord knew? He knew their hearts, just like God knows our hearts right now. He knew that their hearts did not believe. And I think Jesus, and this is the way I take it, Jesus like, like, okay, oh, game on. That's fine. That's fine. Here we go. Let's see what we can do with these two. We're going to move them closer. And to, the, the, the thing in the story to me is that these are kind of uh, no-name followers of Jesus. We know there was a larger group of followers of Jesus because on the day of Pentecost, uh, 40 days, uh, 50 days, 47 days from this point, we know there's 120 in the upper room. So we know there was a, a larger group than just the, 
the 12 and, well, you eliminate Judas, so there's only 11. We knew that there were more. But the, the thing is, these people have no significance in the story preceding this, and they have no significance as far as we know what's recorded in Scripture for the story after this. One guy's name is Cleopas, and that's all we know. I mean, you can, you can Google it, you can search for it in your Bible. No, this is, this is Cleopas's, this is his time. The other guy is so no name, they don't even name him. That probably made his mama feel bad when they wrote the book, and it's like, well, well why did Cleopas get his name in there? And my son didn't, you know, what, what's up with that? No, these are people that really had no significant, great significance to the story. But you know what? Jesus came and encountered them and engaged them. And why? So that they would come to the place of believing in Him. He cared enough about no-name disciples that He would say, you know what, I'm going to spend this afternoon walking with these thick-skulled guys with the long faces, as the guy said, and I'm going to move them closer to the point of believing in me. And so I think it is a story that reminds us and speaks to us and the reason it was included in the Scripture that the risen Lord reigns. And what I mean by that is the risen Lord is actively engaged in our lives. He took the time as a personal Lord to come and walk with them, these two men, to teach them and even to sit down and eat with them. In the process, Jesus was working to draw them to himself. What did Jesus want? Jesus wanted them to believe that he was risen from the dead and therefore he was reigning Lord and that they would understand in that framework the significance of the cross, why he had died. It's only through the resurrection that we understand what the cross is all about. Hmm. So I got a couple questions for you. These are rhetorical. You don't have to respond out loud. Uh, who was it that restrained their eyes from recognizing Jesus? You can go, <laughs> Michael, you can go with any of the Sunday school answers. That's God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit will work in this case. Were you going to guess God? Yeah, Michael got it right. Uh, no. In fact, it's one of the indications that Jesus' transformed body was different than his regular body. If Jesus had just come back from the dead and he appeared, even though he would have been uh, scarred up and beaten, they would have looked at Jesus, this man on the road, and go, oh, it's Jesus. No, Jesus is in his transformed body, and so at times they don't recognize him. But actually what the Scripture says, and we have to understand, is that God kept them from seeing him for who he was. I think so that they could spend the afternoon together and he could teach them the scriptures. But there's something very significant in the story. What is the point in the story in which then God opens their eyes? Hmm. Now they did say later that their hearts burned within them when he spoke to us on the road about the scriptures. But you know what the Bible says? Is that when they sat down in that moment, and when he took the bread and he blessed it, 
and he broke the bread, it was then that their eyes were opened. And I got to thinking this week as I was preparing for this, why? If God is the one who closed their eyes and kept them from seeing him for who he was, why was it at this point that God opened their eyes in the breaking of the bread? In fact, they say it again. Not only do they say it in the story, but later when they tell the apostles, they told them the things that happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Because Jesus wanted them to know not only who he was, but what he had done. And the most visible way for them to understand what Jesus was done, had done went back to three nights previous to this when he had sat with his, his twelve. And I guess the twelve had told the story. I, I don't know that I understand all of this. But that Jesus on that night had taken the bread and broken it. He said, no, this is my body that is broken for you. And then Jesus died on the cross. And he talked about on that night the cup that was his blood that had been shed for them. You see, the breaking of the bread from that day forward would be what the early followers of Jesus did to remind them that Jesus' body had been broken to pay for their sins. Yes, the cross has great significance. It is the Lamb of God who died to pay for our sins. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember the Lord, who he is and what he had done and ultimately what he had done, he had, his body had been broken for their sins. Jesus takes these two men, and I think the most unique of the resurrection appearances, because he wanted to move them to the place where they believed in who Jesus was as the risen Lord, and to believe in his work, the finished work of sacrifice of the cross. The story is teaching us that Jesus is not only alive, but he is actively engaged in our lives, where we live and where we walk and what we do. There's no greater depiction of that than Jesus walking along the road with him. Seven miles, Byron and I calculated about two and a half hours. I don't know if he was there when he picked him up on the journey, but he spent some time with him. And I don't, I don't know that I can impress this upon you in any other way than to say Jesus is still alive and reigning today and he is still actively engaged in your life and in mine and walking with us in our journey. And do you know what the point is? He's going to be engaged in our lives so that we will know him and we will know his work. Do you know what the Bible teaches us? You say, well, what, what's that? I don't... I, I don't get many stories of Jesus uh, like uh, walking with people anymore. What the Bible says is at the end of his time, he ascended to the Father. What the early church taught, the apostles says, is the Father gave the Spirit for Jesus to bestow the Spirit upon his people. And on the day of Pentecost, the risen Lord sitting at the right hand of the Father pours out his spirit on God's people, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And from that day forward, 
Jesus has been actively engaged and involved in our world and our lives through His Spirit. I would say to you today that an encounter with the Spirit of Christ is an encounter with the risen Christ. I don't know, you might say, well, it would be better for me, Brother Darrell, if I had a physical person, somebody I could see, and he could sit down with me and, and do all this. Well, we don't apparently get that choice. But God's Spirit, and I think the reason we don't get that choice and the reason Jesus said it's, it's advantageous for me to go to the Father so that I can send the Spirit is because the Spirit can be everywhere in the world. Uh, Sammy and I are heading to Africa a week from Thursday. I want you to know when we get there, you know what we're going to discover? is the Spirit of Christ is working in people's lives. <laughs> in uh, even Kamandu, the end of the world, and actually they say there are villages beyond Kamandu, so apparently it's not the end of the world. Apparently there's, there's another path on out there that we need to go. And let me tell you, God's Spirit will be working there. Uh, God's working in your life today. He's walking with you. He's teaching you. He's moving you to the place to believe in Him, who He is, that He is the risen Lord who reigns. And in His work, the finished work of the cross. And so this morning... I thought it was appropriate for us to break bread together because that's what Jesus did and that is what the early church did. Um, so this morning in just a few moments we're going to break bread. And you think, well, what's, what's the significance of that? I, you know, I don't... If we have the crackers again, don't hold these words against me, okay? Because sometimes we have the little preformed crackers that are made in Nashville or wherever the Baptist headquarters is, you know, or something. I don't know. There's one little lady in Nashville that cooks these for all Baptist churches everywhere around the world. Uh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't speak like that. Uh, I, I, I'm, well, I'm just laying out my cards there. I was walking through Sam's the other day in the bread section, and I saw this bread. <laughs> I thought, no, I think this is what the bread looked like. And so I grabbed it, and we, I cut it up. I could have broken it for you, but I cut it up for you in the little trays. Because I think this was the significance. Is in, the, in the Jewish life, bread would have been their staple food. And to say they broke bread is to say, no, I spent, I communed with you. I sat on a table. I broke bread, and there, you know, there wasn't sliced bread. Now, if you girls can't behave right over here, y'all, I don't know what y'all are giggling about. But, uh, uh, no, it would have been very, people, you would have understood, well, we don't break bread, bread sliced for us now. Mama in those days cooked it in a loaf and daddy had to break the bread. Say, here's your part. And that's what Jesus would have done and that's where they saw him and that's what Jesus did on that night that he was betrayed. I want to read the scripture and then I'm going to ask the deacons to come and to help uh, distribute this. Uh, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 
says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in just a moment, we've gone ahead and broken the bread for you, but the deacons will come, and I'm going to serve them first, and then they will pass the tray of bread and I want you, I know this is not what we normally do, take a piece and you eat it, pass the tray, and then the, the tray of cups will come right after that and you take a cup and drink it. And the Bible said that Jesus taught his disciples to do this and in Acts 2, um, this is what they did is they were breaking bread from house to house. The meal that Jesus said, no, do this and always remember that my body was broken for you and my blood was shed for you. I want to pray, and then I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward. Father, today, we, um, as we just uh, pause this, this Lord's Day before Easter, Father, I pray that you would draw our hearts uh, to know you and to know your work and to never forget uh, what our sin cost you. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us uh, introspective hearts, thankful hearts, uh, repentant hearts, knowing what it is that you've done. And, uh, Father, we thank you. And I pray today that you would open up our eyes that we might see the Savior today. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward at this time. The body of Jesus broken for you. Y'all go ahead and eat. The body of Jesus broken for you. The body of Jesus broken for you. blood of Jesus shed for you. The blood of Jesus shed for you. The blood of Jesus shed for you.
people said amen amen i'm going to ask you to stand at this time uh, byron and i are going to come to the front uh, to receive the altar is open this morning uh, for uh, for you to really uh, make a response to a god who engages us and encounters us and calls for us to believe in him and to trust in his final work and so uh, shane's going to lead us and uh, we're here. The altar is open. Mm-hmm. 